Hello, I'm Jim White and welcome to It's Friday. Put on your face mask, sit back and let us guide you through the best way to while away the hours of a weekend like none of us has seen before. Coming up, he's toured across the globe as Queen's lead vocalist, but now Adam Lambert has returned with a new solo album. And we bid a fond farewell to our favourite mockumentary with the series finale of The Brilliant This Country. You can't save a damsel if she loves her distress. And you can't save someone from a shark who's insistent on doing one of them shark experiences. Plus we chat to the novelist, comedian and master of the podcast, Andrew Hunter-Murray, the man who made nerdery hip. A nerd is just someone who's curious about things and then takes it a bit further I think so I hope there's a, there's a kind of inner nerd in all of us don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts Google and Spotify and leave us a review but first during the current coronavirus pandemic it may or may not come as a surprise that the stand Stephen King's post-viral apocalypse horror novel has shot to the top of the Kindle bestseller charts. And this isn't a special case. The 1995 medical disaster flick Outbreak has entered Netflix's top ten. In a remote African jungle, a small monkey is captured. Bound for a pet store in America, the animal carries a deadly virus. And Steven Soderbergh's 2011 movie Contagion, which tells a fictional account of a quickly spreading virus born in China, is now Warner Brothers' most downloaded film, ahead of Harry Potter. Did she mention seeing anyone who was sick? Anyone on a plane at the airport? No, she said she was jet-lagged. The average person touches their face three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, and each other. Beth! No, no, uh, uh, go up to your room, honey. So we have a virus with no treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. Joining me to discuss virus movies going viral are the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner, the Daily Mail's TV critic Claudia Connell, and our entertainment columnist Baz Bamigboy. Uh, Baz, you were you were you were looking scared during that clip for Contagion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was rather prescient. Wasn't it, it, it? it was, and 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 in point of fact, I can remember seeing Kate Winslet because uh, she's an old friend of mine, and not long after she shot the film, and she said, "I said, what have you been doing?" She said, "Contagion." I said, "What it's about?" And she described it. I said, "Quite, I hope that doesn't." happen in real life he said well it has already and I'm sh- she said it's sure to happen again down the line and of course it has oh. and we're all downloading it brian to terrify yeah, ourselves well, I, don't know why. I mean you'd think that virus films would be the last thing anybody would want to watch at the moment in a way but so i'm not quite sure why but on the other hand you know maybe there's some kind of comfort in watching them because you know you think you watch it and you th- and usually they end with you know the heroes living and you know being Okay, so maybe that's maybe that's the reason because they're you know because it's fiction and maybe that offers some kind of reassurance. I don't know. But, uh, um, we, I, we mentioned Contagion being incredibly uh, sort of far sighted, uh, Claudia. We often say Black Mirror 
gets yeah. it right. I mean, is there a Black Mirror kind of a episode? Yeah, there was an episode of Black Mirror. It's called um, Dead Set, and it was about Big Brother contestants who were obviously locked up in a house and locked away from the world. And there was a zombie apocalypse that was going on at the same time, and they weren't being told about this. Grayson, Marky, and Pippa. Someone's coming out! Witnesses describe dead or injured people attacking one another en masse. Five seconds, eight, two, nine. And we've got a, a very, very similar story happening right now in Germany. The, the Big Brother contestants are in the house in Germany and they have no idea about the coronavirus. They've just been kept in the dark. So this is Charlie Brooker knows what's yeah, going on in the world. Yes. So they're self-isolated in the Big Brother house. And they have no and, idea. And, yeah. and oh, my yeah. word. I mean, that is one of the I things. Mean, they're safe. <laughs> yeah, well, we should all be so lucky. Yeah, yeah their reputations yeah. are plunging, but yes. they're physically mm. safe. Yeah. Uh, but Brian, uh, the, the, talking about zombies, that's that's become the kind of template for a virus. It's usually something horrific and yeah. horrible and, and, and apocalyptic, isn't or, it? In the something movies? from outer space or something like the, the Andromeda strain, which is, which is another very prescient film. But that was made years before Contagion. You know, that was, what, 1971 or something like that. But that, again... It came from outer space, and and you know you can see lots of kind of you know alien invasion movies in the same sort of through the same kind of prism as these virus films. You know, it's mm. something something alien, something that we don't understand. But that might be why people are have put um, Contagion to the top of down, yes, top yeah, of the yeah. dialogue charts because it involves us. Yes, you know, yeah. and it's not zombies like in Twenty Eight Days or the Brad Pitt movie World yeah. War Z rather than Z, but I yeah. prefer Z, yeah. not Z. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that's why Contagion's taken off because it's yeah. about us human beings. Yeah. It's recognizable, even yeah, though it's yeah. a little exaggerated. But it's, you know, when she talks about not touching your face and all that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah. was we, 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 We've been hearing now our, our officials say that, haven't no, we? No, no. I mean, I, uh, in preparation for, for this, I had a look at it last night. I didn't mm. watch all of it, but watched the first half of like, it. And likewise. it is unbelievably isn't it? prescient. Well, it yeah. all I mean, starts so in China, doesn't it? And it sort of bats. Yeah. Uh, being eaten or something. Poor that, that's how it starts. I know, poor China gets it in the neck every time. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, China gets it in the neck. It is more deadly. I mean, we have to say coronavirus isn't quite as. No, uh, and they do die. And poor that. old Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't make the first kind of 10 minutes of the movie before she's. She's well, she, she says that says she's, a right for gloop, doesn't it? Absolutely. Get back to you on that. But, one. Buzz, do you think now we're going to see more of these coming out? That people are going to be inspired by these events to come up with? Well, new, I, uh, may, new maybe. Films. What's going to happen is uh, is that all the so many movies have been shut down in production. So you're going to have lots of directors and actors, and more importantly, young. Sh- studio executives have not much to do. That's a very interesting question you said there, uh, Baz, about the fact that nothing is actually being made at the moment. Mm. What are we going to watch in in six months' time? Well, there will be a glut, because all, like, for instance, Studio Canal put back or put forward rather excuse me the Judy Dench film Blythe Spirit where she plays Madame Marcardi I've seen I don't know if Brian's seen I haven't seen and it and it's sparkling because you know sometimes these coward uh, film ad- adaptation could be ghastly uh, but this is very good it's supposed to open May 1st it's now going to open September the 4th there are going to be so many movies in, in the autumn 
that it's gonna you know there's gonna be 10 movies a day from yeah. september to december i know yeah. well, what what well, are they what are they doing with television though because television's presumably all all shut down well, and yeah things. a lot of the productions have have shut down i was just thinking i hope people like dad's army because they're going to be seeing an awful lot of episodes of that <laughs> on tv and, and, and the there comic. is the archive isn't yes, there yes i'm going to be seeing a lot a lot more repeats there's talk that they might start eking out the soaps because soap production could get shut down um currently we have about four or five episodes a week of most of the soaps they might squeeze those down to two oh, right. just to make them last to, a bit to, longer to keep them yeah. going how yeah. far ahead are the soaps how far ahead Gen- is eastenders generally six weeks so the stuff that you're seeing on on tv now was was filmed around the end of january so so we might actually have a a, a hangover um, that we're that we're going to be picking up. There, there may be after everything has gone back to normal, a kind of hangover from from this in EastEnders and so on. It's, it's going to be very hard for the the soaps to address. I'm I'm wondering if they're just going to ignore the issue in general. Have they ignored it up to now? Well, they it, have, but that's because they've they've had no choice. Because they were too, yes. they were done they, too early. I think um, Coronation Street earlier in the week got a um, a mention of washing your hands in, um, and that must have been sort of slipped into the filming. But if pubs and cafes are going to be shut down and that that's you know most of the settings for most of the soaps so I, I wonder if they're all going to put their heads together and say well how do we do this do we just you know accept that this is not the real world and we ignore it don't they tend to overlook things like that though don't like the the 2008 financial you know think things global things they the soaps tend to sail on regardless don't they, they they've it. dropped things in that have just been things like like the royal wedding they dropped in yeah. and michael jackson's death they dropped in but i would have thought something like this would be virtually impossible for them to build into a storyline although i did hear a mention in the arches the other night of washing wash your hands joel no, no sorry he's dead isn't he no one of the characters they all say like joe grunted to me i said to my wife who's speaking yeah. who is that <laughs> no, but one of the, I heard some someone say about wash wash your hands again. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't your wife off that you thought was was on the radio, but actually it was her talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, but, no. but Brian, as a, yeah. as a final thought, if you were going to sit down with a virus film uh, over the over the next few yeah. days, what would you choose? Well, um, there's some very good ones to choose from, actually, and, and Contagion that we've talked about is is actually terrific i'd forgotten how good it was it's the best um, isn't it? yeah but there's a very good film a couple of years ago called it comes at night do you remember that baz that yes was... we never go out at night i think they're sick budget mask on nobody's sick here can't trust anyone but family you don't get it how old are you travis if they're sick And that was sort of set post-virus, post-kind of apocalypse. And it was all about the fear and the anxiety. And it was about a, a, a family living in self-isolation, as we now, you know, which is the kind of buzzword of the times. So that's, that's worth finding. That's, a, that's a, a really, really good, scary kind of horror film come thriller. Very, very good indeed. Uh, and Buzz, are you trying to avoid these things? Or what would you look forward to? What would you look forward to watching? Oh, God, anything. i tell you what I've been watching, actually. I've been watching all the Godfather movies. Oh. Best movies ever made. Yeah. Godfather's Part 1 and 2. Chinatown I watched the other night with Jack Nicholson. I'm what, re, I'm, I, I, my son and I have compiled a list of the 100 films we've got to watch between now and the end of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Baz. I'm I'm looking forward to getting that list. 
And now, given the crisis that's enveloping all of us on both sides of the Atlantic, let's hear now from Jackie Stephen. We normally hear from her at the end of the show, but uh, let's hear about how it's going on in in New York. Uh, Jackie, uh, New York calls itself the city that never sleeps. Has it gone on a sort of extended nap? I think that what it's in is a state of rigor mortis, advanced rigor mortis, I have to tell you. It's very quiet here. They shut all the bars and restaurants this week and uh, people just didn't know what to do. It was like countdown to New Year's Eve, you know, the last hour just before they shut everything and everyone was in quite a frantic state. Well, they can still buy wine from shops, you know, you can get a lot of stuff in. And I'm very lucky because I always prepare for war anyway. So I've always got enough of everything in. I've got enough food for a year. My freezer's packed. Uh, I've got enough toilet paper for five weeks. So if I cut down, I could certainly do that for two months. But the good news is about it, my cultural life has been hugely enriched because New York is offering so much for free. And I think it's possibly not New York, but New York seems to have been the hub of it. Uh, Coldplay's Chris Martin decided to do a free concert online. That's been followed now by uh, John Legend. So not only have musicians been doing their bit and giving us stuff for free, in New York we've got other companies who are doing exactly the same. For example, every night at 7.30, the Met Opera is streaming performances of some of its great presentations. The New York Philharmonic and the Chamber Music Society of the Lincoln Centre, they're doing the same. Art galleries have introduced online viewing rooms. Uh, The Whitney and the Met Museum, you can experience discussions with artists and you can explore the exhibits virtually. It's quite extraordinary. I now have a more culturally rich life than I ever had 48 (laughs) hours ago. This is is fantastic. I mean, I hope that that extends into Britain as well. I mean, what a great idea. It's quite extraordinary. And when you consider that normally you can't afford to go to things, I hardly ever go to any Broadway shows anyway. So my life hasn't changed that much. I still sit on my fat backside drinking wine, watching TV. So same old, same old. So I can't really afford Broadway shows. Now, it is very sad that they've all shut down because they're actors who are out of work. And of course, a lot of actors spend time in bars working in them because that's how they get their extra money. So they've lost that income as well. But Broadway shows are something that aren't in my life anyway. But all these other things like the opera and concerts, I can't afford to go to those because they're hugely, hugely expensive. So being able to have these now for free in the comfort of my own living room is fantastic. And and Jackie, how is television adapting to the current crisis? I would imagine that the nightly uh, topical comedy shows are, are talking about nothing else. One of the problems that television has is there's a lot of the shows have had to be taken off. The Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, which is our satirical show, obviously on a Saturday night, that's off for three weeks. Uh, the chat shows are all off the air because they rely on studio audiences. And when they stop the studio audiences coming in, they realise that that really is the backbone of the show, is the response of the audience to the comedian. So they're all off the air at the moment. And drama, I think, is benefiting. Certainly Netflix and Amazon are going to benefit because people will take out subscriptions, I suspect, to to watch more. I've got this suggestion to bring back a show called The Paper Chase. Now, that was about students uh, in a law firm. Well, not a law firm. They were in a university college studying law. And instead of the students battling it out for their degrees, I think now we have the paper chase and it's people from different continents fighting to see who can gather the highest number of toilet rolls. Jackie, that is it. That is that is the concept <laughs> that is going to win you an Emmy. <laughs> I hope so. 
<laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Okay. And enjoy okay. your self-isolation. Thank you. Andrew Hunter Murray has taken nerdery to new heights. Self-deprecatingly calling himself an elf, he beavers away supplying facts for the brilliant TV series QI. He has just released his first novel, The Last Day, which Lee Child, no less, described as a masterpiece of future shock literature. And what's the point, he is a regular on a podcast even more popular than this one. The No Such Thing as a Fish podcast, as it's called, features four of the QILs nattering about facts. And it has hundreds of thousands of people around the world tuning in every week. I, I think they might do, yes. That's partly because of... Uh you know, the link to QI, but we've been going about six years now and just talking about the interesting things we found out. So that has been, uh, it's been a wonderful six years making this programme, talking about everything under the sun. So do you, do you describe yourself, Andrew, as a nerd? Uh, am I being rude to use that term? About no, you? no rudeness at all. Yeah, absolutely. Very nerdy. I think we all are in the office, but um, a nerd is just someone who's curious about things and then takes it a bit further, I think. So... Uh, I hope there's a, there's a kind of inner nerd in all of us. You, you know Michael Spicer, that guy who does the stuff on Twitter of the room next door, where he's yes. kind of prompting. Yeah, yeah. I always I always feel that you are the guy who was there giving Stephen Fry and Sandy Toxvig information. Is that right? <laughs> uh, are, have you got this kind of encyclopedic brain that whenever anyone says something, you've got a fact to back it up? Well, after several years of the podcast, if someone says a noun, normally one of us will be able to remember something quite good about that, whatever that noun is. Um, and yeah, we are we are the team of people who, who come up with all the facts for the show. So we're just about to start filming the R series of QI, which is all about revolutions and rodeos and rubber and, you know, everything else you can imagine that begins with R. So, yeah, so we have got quite a lot of experience now of, uh, of just making connections. Yeah. So um, it's alphabetical. Once you get to Z, do you then start back with double A? So it'll all be about R. Oh. So how, how's that going to work? <laughs> uh, yeah, and batteries. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think plans that are not clear yet because we've got several years before we get uh, get through to Z. Maybe we'll start the numbers or we'll start shapes. You know, the world's our oyster, really. Once we're free of the alphabet, there are lots of other alphabets. Of course, we can try. We can try uh, a acute. Or, uh, you know, the weird uh, A-E Anglo-Saxon letter. Well, it might be a bit thin on the ground, facts about that. So tell me about your, your, your book, The Last Day. Uh, what is a future shock thriller that uh, Lee Child described it as? Yeah, I had no idea it was a future shock thriller, but I was very glad to hear Lee Child saying it was. Um, so it's, uh, it's a story, I guess it's a kind of thriller. But it's set a few decades from now in a world whose rotation has ground to a halt. Uh, So in the story that the book takes place in, in that world, half of the planet faces constantly inwards towards the sun and half faces outwards towards the cold, dead universe. So that is the basic premise. And it's happened due to a catastrophe in the heavens. Nothing to do with mankind, we're actually not the guilty parties on this occasion. So this isn't climate change, the inevitable consequence then? Well, it's not. It's funny because obviously the climate has changed and it is set in a world. It's set on the sunlit side. Britain is on that sunlit side. It's set in a world which is hotter, drier, less predictable. So it is kind of, it's looking at a world that I think we're going to be seeing more of in the next 50 years or so, but it just happens not to be, 
you know, just happens that we're not guilty on this occasion. Um, but it's, it's dealing with those questions. And it's dealing with a world in which pe- millions of people are moving around in order to survive. They're moving to the sunlit side. Now, you're a man who's spent his life um, immersed in facts, knee-deep in facts. Mm. How, how do you then move into fiction? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming this couldn't happen, could it, the, 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 the premise of the book? Unlikely. Although I have, been, I did consult a friend of mine who's an astrophysicist, and she told me this is one of the ways in which you could slow a planet to a halt. Um, now, obviously, the the mechanism by which it happens in the book is so so unlikely that I can say with confidence that it won't happen. But I did want to make it as realistic as possible. That was important to me, and I am a huge fan of uh, of so many of the the sci-fi works which take our world and they change one aspect. And then they explore that world from within. You know, they keep human nature the same. So things like The Children of Men by P.D. James uh, or Fatherland by Robert Harris is a great example. You change one thing. You just ask what happened if the Nazis had actually won the Second World War. And then you kind of follow that thread. You know, you keep human nature the same, but you're in a slightly different world. So that was the inspiration, really, wanting to come up with a world where things have changed, but, but we are still... We are still humans, if you like. One of the uh, many strings to your bow is ostentatious, which is uh, mm. uh, where, you, where you do sort of Jane Austen parodies. Is that the right word? Where, where people can, um, the audience is given the opportunity to come up with a, an idea and you make a Jane Austen novel out of it. Um, is there any yeah. Jane Austen in, in, in your book? <laughs> no, there's none. Um, it's, no romance? Yeah, because it's set. There's, there is actually, sorry, yeah, good point. There is a little kind of flickering of romance because the central character is summoned back to this kind of decayed, run-down London and uh, she meets up with her ex-husband there. And so they kind of, they may start to grow quite close again as the novel goes on, but I think it would be a stretch to say that if you liked Mansfield Park, you'll love this. <laughs> uh, I hope both are well-written. <laughs> um, they're, they're pretty different works. Um, Andrew, I, I suspect you knew what, that I'm going to ask this question, but as, as a final oh, yeah. thought, what's the best fact you've ever come up with? You're the man who knows facts. What's your favourite well, fact? There are a lot of very unprintable ones, but I do <laughs> like the... Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what time this podcast goes out. You know, I'm sure you can li- if you listen after the water shell, I'll tell you a different one. But... Um, <laughs> One of my favourites is the German phrase uh, to say you don't care about something. You say, das ist mir Wurst. And the German phrase literally translated means it's sausage to me uh, (laughs) to say you don't care, which I absolutely love. That's one of my favourite phrases in any language. Andrew, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Jim. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where our critics take aim at the latest entertainment releases, avoid the hype, and give us the inside line on what they really think. Uh, first up, the Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner. Uh, Brian, films, uh, cinemas are shut all round. Yeah. Us. I mean, will we be able to download new releases? Is that the yeah, idea? Yeah, well, one of think? the big distributors, Universal, have decided that they are going to make available for download all their new releases. I think as of today actually so um so you will be able to see 
you know their films if nobody else is that's not necessarily a good idea they made a film called the hunt which came out last week which i hated but um but there's also avoid. Uh, but the invisible man is one of theirs and that was very good so um you know they'll be they'll be and do you think see. everyone else will follow i suit? suspect they might yeah because cinemas are closing so um they it might be the only way and, yeah. and how do you get it i mean i know how to go onto netflix and that's confusing yeah, yeah, enough yeah, for yeah. a person of my I, generation but yeah how, well, how do you get these you downloads? and i are the same generation and i'm i'm slightly befuddled as well and i can download you know netflix and and sky store and all that kind of stuff i can do not quite sure yet about the universal thing but i'm i'm finding out i'll have more news for you next week and and amongst the things that will be coming out then that should have been in the cinema but will now be uh, on the tv what's caught your eye yeah well there's a film out i mean i think you know some cinemas well we don't know this is a changing ever fluid situation so we don't know what cinemas are going to be open to watch radioactive is the probably the big film of the actually the biggest film of this week was going to be a quiet place two, a uh, sequel to a quiet place the emily blunt film of, of two or three years ago but uh that has been postponed like so many others so um but what is still out there is yes radioactive which is the biopic of marie curie played by rosamund pike well let's listen to a clip first i have been haunted my entire life looking for beauty in the new Science is changing. And the very people who are running science are the people who believe the world was flat. I'm going to prove them wrong. Marie Curie, most of us know about Marie Curie, but not, you know, that much. Our, our levels of knowledge are fairly su- superficial. Um, but this film obviously fills in those gaps. Um, so she was the woman who, the first woman to win a Nobel Prize and the first person, man or woman, to win two Nobel Prizes. And she won um, it, one for physics and one for chemistry. This was an all-rounder. And her daughter went on and won one um, years later. So what an extraordinary family. And actually, Marjan uh, Satrapi, the director, um, in her research for this film, talked to Marie Curie's granddaughter, who is described as a 92-year-old physicist. So what an extraordinary family family but anyway yeah so the the film kind of goes back and forth in time and it shows how marie curie's uh discoveries of radium and uh, polonium these two elements polonium was named after her homeland uh, poland people think she's french but actually she was polish married a frenchman pierre curie this the the film tells the story of their love for each other um all this going on he was also in that world and he won a nobel prize too um they were you know they're flying around like nobody's business in that family um but it goes back and forth in time a little bit at times a little bit disconcertingly but it it shows basically fundamentally the film is about how her discoveries of of those two elements caused something that is very can be very very good for humanity i.e a cure for cancer but also you know the atomic the nuclear bomb and radiation poisoning which is very bad for humanity so and and it sort of shows her even kind of whisks her forward into the future in a slightly kind of whimsical way um because actually this film is based on a graphic novel and and i think the director has has sort of tried to try to sort of make a, a a virtue of that so we see marie curie trying to kind of come to terms with the fact that actually her you know the, the the nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and everything was to do with her her discovery. Uh, uh, science isn't that dramatic. It's certainly not that cinematic. Um, yeah, uh, th- th- have they got over that? I mean, is it lots of sort of bubbling test tubes? It is, and, 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 and Frankenstein's you've, you've, seen, you've seen the movie, haven't you, Jim? But, uh, you know, it's very hard to make chemistry sexy, isn't it? Or or 
you know, filmic. And they do their best. But for me, I, I, I thought this film... Um, I'm glad I saw it, and it certainly enlightened me. But it's a film, you know, that's what it does. It enlightens, and it and it fills in the gaps in your knowledge and all the stuff about it. And, and she had a very you know, phenomenally interesting life, and not just for what she achieved professionally, but also her personal life was quite fascinating. Poor old Pierre got trampled by a horse quite young, and she then went on and had an extramarital affair with a colleague, which was caused an incredible scandal in turn-of-the-century Paris. So there's all that as well. Um, so it's enlightening. It tells you all of that. But what it doesn't really do, I didn't think, was move or you know in any way really kind of engage the the emotions particularly i wasn't moved by it. Come i wasn't on then, thrilled by it nail your um, colors to the mat but i'm gonna hit but, or miss but, you know i would say with yeah with quite a few caveats but uh, and she's great rosamund pike so let's say a hit uh, now, a familiar name to those of us of a certain age, anyway. Um, yeah. What was the second film you've seen? Well, the second film is, and I thought we could all do with a bit of cheering up, and here's the perfect solution to that. Uh, it's called The Great Buster, A Celebration. It's a documentary about Buster Keaton. I'm not sure how you're going to play a clip because they're all silent films, <laughs> but we'll, I'm sure you'll manage somehow. It's an absolutely terrific documentary made by Peter Bogdanovich, who himself... Is a, is a great director and he interviews people like Mel Brooks and Quentin Tarantino and many, many filmmakers whose work has been fundamentally influenced by Buster Keaton. So I'll tell you a bit more, but let's listen to a clip. For Keaton, cinema was important. It was jokes that worked because of the movie camera. How he did that was superhuman. There were no tricks. He just did it. It's amazing how timeless he is and how that type of physical comedy will never be unfunny. Absolutely yeah. right. I mean, yeah, yeah. you just have to think of a, a of a whole house front <coughs> falling on yeah. top of him, or the car collapsing underneath absolutely. him. None yeah, of that yeah. was special effects, presumably. Yeah. They no, all he, had to be done. Absolutely. And he and you heard Dick Van Dyke there. He's one of the many people in, interviewed in this. I film. didn't recognise Dick Van Dyke because yeah. he wasn't speaking Cockney, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great Cockney accent. Um, but um, so we see yeah we see we see his sheer brilliance i mean i love chaplin as well but actually you know i think he buster keaton was kind of you know is a purist's uh silent comedian he was so brilliant and he learned it all in childhood actually he he was part of a vaudeville act with his parents and his kind of role in their vaudeville act which was incredibly popular in america around about the turn of the 20th century um was throwing he was thrown around on the stage and even once thrown at a heckler in the audience when he was about <laughs> no, four seriously. years old yeah honestly yeah and he learned from that how to land and how to sort of make people laugh but how also to physically protect himself but he but nevertheless he broke his neck during one of his stunts he you know the famous one that you've referred to is steamboat bill jr whether whether house during a hurricane the house kind of collapses on him um i don't think it was that one where he broke it but he did break his neck and he had all kinds of you know little injuries over the years but he was he he emerges incredibly well from this you know he had his problems he was alcoholic at one point uh, he fell on pretty hard times when the talkies came in he would he became tied to mgm and they wouldn't give him the control he needed and so he he went through a real uh, a tough time and he ended up advertising alka-seltzer on television and so on but um but what really emerges is a what a genius what a genius uh, and how funny how naturally funny um and also what a actually a decent guy and he ended up 
in a, I think his third or maybe fourth marriage, but that was very happy. And so he, um, so everything kind of came together for him. And in hard and difficult times, a real injection of fun, a oh, hit or a miss for Absolutely. You. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, bef- just before I say a hit or a miss, there's a great clip from the American Candid Camera where they got Buster Keaton in to sit at a, a counter, like a cafe counter, and just to have a whole load of kind of hapless accidents while the people next to him, not knowing who it was, watch. It's just priceless. So watch it for that. For nothing else, it is unquestionably a hit. And Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. Um, Adrian, we're going to need something to cheer us up at home over the coming weeks, aren't we? It's, it's sort of music's going to uh, cheer us all up, isn't it? Well, let's hope so. I mean, these these are very uncertain and scary times, and I think um, I think some kind of feel-good sounds uh, can go a long way, particularly for all of us who are kind of, uh, working from home and unable to go to cinemas concerts pubs any kind of public gathering i think i think streaming as it, if it hadn't already been the kind of major development in music over the last five years is really going to come into its own over the next god knows how many how many many months but um yeah i mean you know and lots of new albums as well there's there's you know the release schedules certainly there's tours being cancelled but in terms of the major albums there's there's loads of stuff coming up over the next few months and no signs as yet of stuff being shelved i mean i don't think it will be either i think i think people are going to want music they're going to want new music and they're going to want to want recycling of old music as well so i think i think in in tough times i think people they crave a little bit of familiarity and reassurance in music and um and I think there's there's certainly records coming out that will provide that. So what have you got in store for us this week then? Well, this week um, there's there's a couple of albums um, out. There's one out today. The new the new album from um, solo album from Adam Lambert, who of course is the he's been the singer of Queen for the last eight years, and he he's stepped into the uh, the mighty boots of Freddie Mercury with uh, with huge charisma and. Uh, uh, considering he originally came from a talent show, American Idol, I think he's really come into his own as as an artist. He's a vocalist with with incredible range and power and a lot of control. And I think he's, he's just about to release his fourth album, Velvet. And I think with each one, I think you've seen something of a progression. The uh, When he was on American Idol, he was very much in that kind of a theatrical hard rock singer. He's released a couple of um, pop albums. I think this, this new one is a real kind of slinky, soulful, retro funk album. Something reminds me a little bit of some of Michael Jackson's kind of mid-period solo work and maybe George Michael's early solo albums. And it's 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 a pretty... He, I mean, he's been compared, and I think a very good comparison, actually. For all his charisma, he's got a great blue-eyed soul voice that reminds me, actually, a little bit of Stevie Winwood. And uh, um, it's it's a very varied album, some great kind of funk and soul tracks. But uh, I think the one we're going to play, actually, is something slightly different. It's, uh, it's a ballad called Closer to You, which uh, it's... Uh, the intro, in particular bears more than the passing resemblance to a certain Beatles song. Yes, I can see uh, Paul McCartney getting onto his lawyers about well, there's, that there's, one. There's, there's a bit of, there's certainly a bit of macker in there. Um, we didn't actually hear the, the intro. Um, 
the piano chords are incredibly reminiscent of of Let It Be, and there's a bit of Maca bass. There's even the uh, um, at the start. There's that kind of flute-like Mellotron sound that was used on Strawberry Fields, and uh, but I think it's a song that kind of shows um, Lambert's scope really he can do the kind of really slinky soulful stuff and he can really knock out a big power ballad and uh, and that that's a really impressive song that one yeah and and also the interesting thing about his voice is he's not trying to do a, a freddie mercury impression is he he's got his own voice now yeah he, he very much has i mean there's one track on the album there's a track called superpower that is strongly reminiscent of another one bites the dust but other than that he you know he, certainly in his solo work he's not trying at all to be like queen and and and, and even when you see him live he, he doesn't try to ape freddie mercury he he's very much his own individual talent and, and as such hit or a miss uh, for you Adrian? I think this one this one's a hit for sure Now, I don't wish to give too much uh, away about my age uh, at this point, Adrian, but this is going back to my early days, uh, this new release. I remember this band. I saw them several times. Well, I think for quite a few of us, actually, it's it's memories of our, our wilder, younger days. And, uh, yeah, it's the return of uh, King Rat himself, Bobby Boomtown. Bob Geldof has reformed the Boomtown Rats and they've just released um, their, their first album since first album of new material since 1984. In fact, their first, when their last album came out, it was before Live Aid, before Band Aid, before Geldof had made this transition from essentially a, a rock musician into a global activist and uh, he's uh, he's been very good with the various charity events he's organized in getting other bands to reform he got led zepp to reform for live aid and pink floyd for live eight but he's finally gone back into the studio with four of the original members of the boomtown rats and uh, and released their first album in 36 years it's called citizens of boomtown i think we're going to listen to here's a postcard which is one of the uh, one of the kind of catchier songs on this record. Ice cream melting in the park. You buy your ice cream, you eat your ice cream. The day moves on like in a passing dream. Let's walk on down. You hit the bar. Uh, well, he may not like Mondays, but is this a hit or a miss uh, for you? I think you can't you can't keep Geldof down, and I'm going to give it a hit. Now the last of this week's hits and misses, this time what's coming up on the small screen with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's TV critic. Claudia, uh, television's going to be a vital distraction is, yeah. for us all uh, over the next few weeks. Is, is there any sign of it rising to the challenge in this week's new releases? Well, there is, there's a new drama that's coming on Sunday on BBC One. It's called The Nest. Um, it's a story about a, a very a very beautiful, very successful young couple, Emily and Dan, who live live in this fabulous house in Glasgow. That, that seems to be a really big theme in dramas at the moment. Everyone lives in these amazing houses. Um, <laughs> Gets us all envious, if nothing else, <laughs> yes, as we're sitting does, at like home. Something out of house and garden. Now, they have everything that they could possibly want, but they don't have a child. Um, and Until a, a car accident where Emily knocks a young girl over with her car, gives them some hope. Um, and I think we have a little clip here. All my life, I've had to be grateful for everything. I want somebody to be grateful to me. You're joking. Why would an 18-year-old want to carry someone else's baby? 
Why would any woman? Money. Which is why I wanted to go somewhere where it's legal to just pay for it. Well, maybe there's another way. A more ethical way. Some kind of exchange. Ethical? Using an 18-year-old fresh out of children's home. Jesus, Emily, come on. I know, I know. It sounds nuts. No, it's, it sounds cracked. Properly cracked. I know. But just meet her. Please. I'm going to see her tomorrow. Just come for dinner after. Sounds properly cracked, but I have a sense I know where that one's right, going. Right, yes. It, now, I have to say, this drama requires a, a lot of suspension of disbelief. So Emily hits Kaya, the young girl, with her car. And then Kaya ends up in hospital where she bumps into the surrogate who is miscarrying the couple's child. So she puts two and two together and says, aha, I'll be your surrogate, but I want 50 grand for it. She's 18 years old, and as you heard in the clip, she's troubled. She's just out of a children's home. They refuse the treatment in a UK clinic, so they decide to go abroad and have the clinic done and have the, have the treatment done sort of under the radar, so to speak. Right, that was in the days when he could travel abroad, of course. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. And, and clearly we don't know anything about this girl and it it's, it's becomes apparent that she has a very dark past and it's it's all a little bit um, hand that rocks the cradle. I don't know if you remember that. It reminded me of that quite a lot. And, and who's in it? Who who are the stars? Sophie Rundle, um, who you might remember from uh, Peaky Blinders. She plays the uh, Emily in this, the one the one who is desperate to, to become a mother at, at any price. And she's, she's very good in this. She does give a, a good performance. Uh, and she can't be in Peaky Blinders because they they no, put that on suspension. No, they've suspended filming they? on that line of duty. They pulled the plug on as well. Yeah. Are we going to see anything in about six months' time as a result? Well, also, I mean, and they start recording um, the Christmas specials. They start recording around sort of July. So that's you know, what are we going to be watching Christmas time? Oh. Mrs. Brown's boys on a loop. Oh, no, oh. please, please. But the nest, the but nest. Tell me, it's or miss. Well, I've got to say, I think I enjoyed the house porn more than I enjoyed the actual the, the drama. Ooh, I, I think. I'm going to have to say I think it's a miss. Now there is uh, we're not even we're not even going to discuss whether this is a hit or a okay, miss because no. it is the best thing on television at the moment but it's about to come to an end yeah, this country this country it ends the last in the series is on monday and yes i think that the creators um daisy may and charlie cooper have have confirmed that they're not going to be doing anything else which is sad but it, it has been the most it's a, a brilliant series and it does it does go out on a high on the on the last episode we've already seen that the um the vicar the drippy vicar has been offered a job in in Bristol. It can't go on without him, so no. I suppose that is the end of it. And in in the final episode, he breaks the news to to Kerry and Curtin, who are who are absolutely devastated. That the vicar does have a wobble um, because he learns that his parish is is in quite a sort of a a tough area of Bristol, and he misunderstands the needle exchange he has to oversee. <laughs> he uh, he thinks it's a knitting circle, so he's a little <laughs> bit a little bit shocked when he hears about that. But there's some light relief because Kerry is made Lord of the Harvest. It's harvest festival time and she has to go and uh, do some collections door to door, which she does a little bit too aggressively. Um, she starts taking some sort of toasters and kettles off people, which doesn't go down very well in the village. <laughs> but it, it's been the most it's a terrific series. It's, it's, you know, it's a mockumentary style, similar as you know, like we saw in, in programmes like The Office. I'd say it's actually better than The Office. Um, I think one of the things about this country is it's developed. The second series has really grown. The peripheral characters have come to the for. Yeah. I love her mother. Yes. I, I, I love the other characters in the village. It could have gone.
gone on, couldn't it? Or I maybe think, it's wise to stop it now. It, it could have gone on. and I mean, you don't know. It could come back for a Christmas special, as, as these things sometimes do. But I, I imagine the creators have kind of have now sort of same as Phoebe Waller-Bridge, they've now become so huge and so sought after that they're going to move on to sort of bigger and better things. And, and uh, uh, just as a sort of last moment of our addiction, have you got a clip for us? Yes, we've got a clip here. Let's listen to this. Hang on, I'm going to pop in the shop and see if Mrs Wicks has seen him, OK? Oh, if you're going to the shop, can you get me something real quick? Uh, yes, I suppose. Uh, can you get me some Dairy Dunkers, the tubes, not the breadsticks? Yeah, OK. Oh, and a bag of quavers, like the grab bag. You'll know the difference because it's considerably larger. Uh, OK. Oh, and a ripple as well would be great. And if I haven't got that atop, it will be fine. Um, also, a bottle of Coke, like full-fat Coke, not Diet Coke, not sugar-free Coke. And don't get me a Pepsi because I will not drink it. Uh, Curtain, anything for you? No, just be quick. Oh, and a beef baguette from the bakery as well, please. No, Kerry, I'm not going in the bakery. Well, a triple sandwich from the shop will be fine. It's always a bit too much for him, isn't it? Daisy May's been in, uh, she was in David Copperfield, wasn't she? Oh, yeah, she was, Um, yeah. So they are are spreading their wings, but that is still a triumph, isn't it? Yeah, it it was sad to see it go, but oh, yeah, a huge hit. Well, now you know what's worth watching this week and what's worth going into lengthy self-isolation in order to avoid. My thanks to Brian, Adrian, Claudia, Baz and Jackie. And that's it from It's Friday this week. Thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. And if you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back next Friday and every week with your Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, keep well. I'm Jim White. Goodbye. <laughs>